0: Food for Thought on News Talk 760 WJR is presented by
1: Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state. Here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight.
0: Welcome, everyone, and thanks for listening. In the years since 1942, when William Beveridge published his report about what is now often referred to as the social safety net, the welfare system has grown larger, spread out, gotten increasingly more complex and less popular. Originally, the idea was to use the wealth of a nation to help its most vulnerable citizens realize the life they most wanted to live. Today, our compassion seemingly comes in ways that are cruel, inefficient, paternalistic and complex. An article published recently and several news sources touted that 2.2 million people have rolled out of the SNAP program since President Trump has taken office. Liberals are upset, and conservatives rejoice, and both do so for illogical assumptions. And I don't have to remind you what happens when anyone assumes. We've invented new words to describe how we feel about those in need of assistance. We use the term TROG, which is an acronym for a person who is living in total reliance on government. Or while some officials tout a 5% unemployment rate as a sign of a strong economy, it is not surprising to find that jobs are found in the gig economy where the labor market is characterized by the prevalence of short-term contracts, freelance work, and low-paying jobs as opposed to permanent jobs with training and higher wage potential. Here's an idea. Let's put away this political ideology, which is about an inch deep and a mile wide, along with our wildly inaccurate generalizations, and think about constructive ways to for us to help people develop self-sufficiency in their lives. First, let's put food first and create food security in households so that everyone's mind is free to work on the other challenges they face and they are able to pursue the life they want most. Next, let's talk about creating positive solutions legislatively by developing a negative income tax bracket for people who are working, but are not making enough to be self-sufficient. We can use our self-sufficiency standard at the Food Bank Council of Michigan as a baseline, and at the same time incentivize people to get jobs, keep more of their own money, and need less of ours. I think there are many more policy ideas we can create if we begin to think a bit better and deeper and it starts with changing our attitude. Jerry Prasan, our co-host, my friend and chairman, has impacted me. He believes unreservedly the people served by the Food Bank Council Network are worthy of investing in, and I do too. Jerry and I are back here in the WJR studio to put a face on hunger in Michigan for you on this edition of Food for Thought. You come back and be with us. We'll be right here. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry Brisson, the president and CEO of Gleaners Community Food Bank here in Southeast Michigan, chairman of the board of directors for the Food Bank Council of Michigan, and the co-host for Food for Thought. Jerry, welcome to the WJR studio. Like every week.
1: Yeah, I know. It's. Uh, I feel welcome. I just want to say after a year and a half, I'm starting to feel pretty welcome. <laughs> yeah. No, now, it's great to be here and always, I mean, uh, stimulating. Uh, and listening to the monologue, uh, I was once again reminded about why we started this in the first place. Why did we want to do this show to change the conversation about food insecurity in Michigan? And data, 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 data. I know I'm like a broken record when it comes to it, but at, you know what you pointed out in your monologue is we have to get past whatever our ideology says and really learn the facts and from that place we can start to make progress and we believe there's enough people in this space who think that way and are working toward concrete solutions that we can make progress and we're gonna make progress in the right way so I'm fired up man I'm fired up (laughs) that's good well there's been a hundred and 50 guests or so on the show, and we
0: haven't had anyone come on to say, oh no, you can't use data. (laughs) You just (laughs) have to have your opinion and cast that. Right, And that's what we don't want to do. We want this foundation to be laid with what we know. And we know some data, and you've
1: got some in front of you. Well, so when you talk about policy decisions and their significance and how many people they affect. And you mentioned millions of people who have been impacted by some of the recent decisions around work rules for SNAP. So, so when we start thinking about how do you really solve this problem, you, you got to have the answer to three questions. Who needs help? How much help do they need and for how long? And once you get the answers to those questions, you can start really saying, all right, this person or this group doesn't need help. They're asking for help, but they don't really need help. But these people over here, they really need help. And I want to start with some of the answer to the question, who needs help? So that's going to be based on uh, uh, actual collecting of information of who is getting help now. Mm -hmm. All right. So so we started this project called Link to Feed. It's a statewide initiative that um, every food bank in the state is participating in some way to capture information about who we're serving, how much and for how long. Right. So I want to start with who. Twenty five percent are kids. It's the biggest single group. Nineteen percent are seniors. When you look at employment age, in between those things, 47% of the people who could be employed are, and 6% are homeless. Now, you add all that up, and that's 97% of the people we serve are kids, seniors, already employed, or homeless. So when you start crafting solutions around what's really going to make a difference in spending on a program like the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP, used to be called Food Stamps, yes, I think employment matters, but with 47% of the people who could be employed already employed, 25% kids and 19% seniors, you're already taking a huge group of people that that issue is not. Going to change anything. It's not going to change the spending. It's not going to change the demand.
0: Well, there, you know, semi jokingly, there are child labor laws.
1: Well, there certainly (laughs) are, right? We're not going to go that far. We're not going to go that far. And you can
0: work when you're 15 if you want to. At at least they're in place right now. Yeah. Yeah. So that could change. But anyway, your point is that this came from. This is not your idea. This is not your opinion. This is not your philosophy. What the numbers you just gave us came from hard data that we've collected over the last few years to try to help understand who it is that we're
1: serving, so that we can better serve them and really inform decision makers about things that'll have the most impact. So one of the things you talked about was a negative income tax now i want to i want to talk about that a little bit more deeply cuz when you understand who really needs help and you've got 47% of the people that are getting help employed right now we know that one of the problems that group has to stay employed is the benefit cliff mm-hmm. so the the their income doesn't go up as fast as their benefits go down so they're working harder, but actually have less household income as a result of that cliff. So a negative income tax would be the opposite of that, that actually their, their household income might not go up, but it wouldn't go down. So there's no disincentive for work. Right. And if our policies are disincentivizing people to stay at work, they're not accomplishing ultimately the goal of the policy. So if we have a punishment mentality that says, no, you know what, we're just going to punish people for not doing what we think is right, well, that's going to accomplish something, and it might accomplish something good, but it's also going to accomplish harm. And data is going to help us understand what the right mix and balance of the solutions are. I think of them as the tools in our tool bag to actually solve these complex social problems.
0: So, the, so just to clarify, the benefits cliff is at $11.50 an hour. Once a person makes 11.50 an hour, they fall off the financial cliff and they're not eligible for any benefits. Nothing with for child support, nothing for food. Uh, no no benefits. Then they don't stretch out across. So they have to get to $17.50
1: an hour to get back to where they were at 11.50 an hour in household income total with their benefits. Exactly right.
0: So once you get into a job making 12 or $13 an hour, you de-incentivize work. They go, crap, I was a lot better off before right. making less money with my benefits. Right. So we have to incentivize that, and we need to pick this up on the other side of the break. So The Financial Cliff, he's Jerry Brisson, I'm Dr. Phil Knight. This is Food for Thought, we'll be back in just a moment. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight on WJR. Welcome back, everyone. We're here in the WJR studios. Dr. Phil Knight with Jerry Bersan. Jerry, I want to go back to the article that I mentioned in the monologue. And and that article said that more than 2.2 million people have discontinued their participation in food stamps or SNAP during President Trump's first full year in office. And again, there was a group of the population that was very happy about that and a group of the population that was been very upset about that. So the problem that I have is I don't know where the 2.2 went. I don't know. Did they get out of their line? Did they get out of the food stamp snap line and get into ours at the food bank network? I don't know what happened. No, there's no report that talks about what the net effect of the impact of 2.2 p- million people rolling off the food stamp line did they just move you know did they did they shorten their line and make hours longer did yes. they shift the burden from the from the federal government to
1: charity and how many right so who needs help how much help and for how long if you don't have the answers to those questions well then you don't know what it means and so again i let's hope let's hope that the good economy is some of it Right? Let's hope that that's I think, the case. I think that can be assumed. Yep. Because I, we have said, we have said, yeah, right? which makes us what? I know. <laughs> yeah. But we have said many times on this show, most of the people who we've met and worked with in this work would really rather have a job, support themselves, and make whatever decisions they want to make with the income they have and not have to worry about answering to anyone for anything. Right. Most people would rather do that. Right. Not that there aren't some that wouldn't, but fundamentally, we have to hope, that some of the reason there's fewer people on SNAP is because the program is working the way it's intended, which is when there's a better economy, you have fewer people needing the help. Makes sense, right? So if that's the case, then we can rejoice. If that's the case, then we can rejoice. If the case is that we're actually making the benefits cliff steeper, which is what you just said, if people are leaving SNAP and having to use pantries more, Well, those pantries are who I support. That's the Capuchins and the Salvation Army, and people who I know are working hard to serve everyone coming to their door, and if the line at their door is longer, well, who's being helped by that?
0: Yeah, all we did was, if they shortened their line and made it our, they just shifted the burden
1: exactly right and it's not to say that those of us out here doing this work aren't always going to be there to catch as many people as we can but we know right now that even distributing all the food we and and the other food banks in the state of Michigan are serving we only meet half the need now so if you make our job harder it just means less of the need is going to be met unless it's attached to some long-term stable income which is why we're working on business plans and health care and education and other places that we think we can find that income, But if you make a decision to add people to our line without doing the work of how do we make sure we serve those people, so th- what? So that the community we live in doesn't get worse. More hungry people does not make a better anything.
0: No, no. Well, and it makes it it makes our job harder but it makes theirs impossible right the people i mean we've said one of the great big tools in the in the anti hunger toolbox is the person who's food insecure has to be motivated to solve that problem for themselves
1: and and are by and large they're working at it not always making the best decisions but certainly trying to. I think all of us fall into that category from I, if time we start to time. shooting
0: people for that, I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble. Yeah, right. You and know? so,
1: you know, that's all part of walking with people. Again, understanding who it is we're trying to serve, what they need and for how long, so that they can be self-sufficient. And, I mean, well, I mean, it's something we say all the time, and we can't say it enough.
0: Well, and something else we say all the time and is that if you're hungry, you only have one problem. And that's the, the fact is that your mind is living under such toxic stress, you can't think about anything else about a better job or, or making a good decision about finances or housing or anything, education, any of it, if you're trapped in the, in the cycle of what am I going to eat today
1: and what am I going to give my kids Right. You know, one of the seven habits of highly successful people, I know that's an old book, and there's other books that have come out since then that are probably just as profound, but begin with the end in mind is one of the habits. And for a person whose end in mind is, how do I eat today? right? If that's the end they have in mind, and they're not thinking about hmm. retirement or their long-term health or education or training, if the if the if as far away as they can think is, what am I going to eat today? you're setting up a situation that's really hard to manage. And so we want to make people's lives easier to manage and and do that at the right return on investment. I mean, it, it just how it needs to be done if you're really going to solve problems and not just keep doing the same things over and over that aren't working.
0: Well, let me take you back to the, the data you shared in the first segment and that you totaled up 97% of the people that we're serving And uh, the largest group, other than the people who are employed,
1: were the children. Right. Right. So if we think about what tools do you need in your tool bag to make sure kids aren't food insecure? It's a very different set of tools than when you're talking about people who should be working, right? Because they're very different groups of people that need different things. So what do kids need? Well, they need to have food in their households. I mean first and foremost, they if their household doesn't have food, that that anything else you do is not going to solve the problem. Right. So some of our legislation around feeding kids directly prevents food from getting into the households. Right. It actually says you have to watch the kid eat the food in order for it to be covered and reimbursed. And that program is called Meet up and eat up, right? Well,
0: It's a summer program.
1: That's right. It's the summer food service program. Yeah. That's exactly right. Meet up and eat up is a marketing way marketing. to get people to do it. But summer food service program disincentivizes food going to the household. But I don't think you can have a food secure child if you don't have a food secure household. I don't know how you do that. Yeah. So, So fundamentally, it's... I understand the perspective of we, we just want to take care of the kids because we don't trust the parents are doing all the things they should be doing. And because we don't trust the parents, we don't want to give them a benefit. Right. But, but if we focus on having food secure children... We have to accept that part of that is making sure that child's household is food secure. And the cost of making a household food secure is a lot less than the cost of policing whether or not we should be able to trust the parents.
0: And doing that policing through the summer feeding program. Exactly right. Because it's one of, if not the most expensive programs that we participate in, even though it's reimbursed to us it's still, we just feel like we could put that money to use in a much more effective way that would have better outcomes and impact.
1: And would accomplish what? what we want for the children. And what we want for the children is for them to be able to thrive. So one of the things you've said, and I think it's easy to remember and something we should say over and over, you can't be well-read if you're not well-fed. And that's not just quantity. That's also quality. Making sure that kids have the right amount and the right types of food is going to be a solution, a really important part of the solution for education. Well, you're exactly right.
0: And you talked about tools in the tool bag to make sure children are food secure. Well, probably the tool that's in the bag that, that, that is not extremely helpful in my mind is the mandate. The legislative mandate that says third grade reading level by third grade. Okay, great. Then give us the tools to do that. And one of the tools in the bag has to be the freedom to create food security in the household instead of a congregate meeting fellowship food Thing under a tree while it's raining and the kids got to eat a soggy sandwich. Come on. I mean, we can do better than this.
1: Yeah, and we can. And again, I don't think anybody starts this legislative process with the idea in mind that it's not going to work. I think everybody's trying to figure out what's going to work and balancing all these priorities. But that's why data is so important. Because once we learn just how extensive the issue is for children and what we need to do for their households, who needs help, how much help they need and for how long, we can start making more progress on all the issues that are affecting kids' health and ability to thrive.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I don't think that I'm not trying to judge the heart here. I'm just judging the ineffectiveness of the program. Right. I mean we're only reaching seventeen percent of the kids who are eligible for free and reduced with this particular summer feeding program. Now great for 17%, right? But whatever ground we're gaining during the school year of giving, making sure that kids have access to healthy, nutritious food through the school system and through our work, we're losing in the summer. You know, and it just makes you think different and if we could go at it from the standpoint of if we want these educational outcomes, third grade reading level by third grade, then what's the best way to make that happen? Because you can't hold two different values at the same time. You can't hold on to uh, the effectiveness of a program and the cost of that program. You got to hold one or the other. You can't hold both. And I, I think maybe we we'll leave it there for this segment. Come back. I, I want to talk about seniors as well, because that was uh, the second largest group uh, other than the, uh, the the employed, which you said was 47%, yep. children 25%, and seniors 19%. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight, we'll be back in a minute. This is Food for Thought.
1: You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight, brought to you by
0: Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. We're back, everyone. Thanks for listening. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight. And Jerry, we're, we're talking about data, and we're talking about food security. There's two shockers for those who uh, tune in regularly that we talk about, <laughs> about that quite a bit. Um, but we've kind of broken this down from data that we've collected um, from a statewide uh, perspective about the people that we're serving, who they are, um, and uh, I love your three questions. I think that guides us a lot in our philosophy. Give us those three questions again. Who
1: needs help? How much help do they need and for how long?
0: So for this segment, we want to talk about seniors. So these are folks who have, uh, you know, worked and they've come through life and, and now they've reached their retirement years. And and um, I remember very early in the history of our show... Uh, we had Paula Cunningham on from AARP uh, here in Michigan, and um, and Paula told a story about a senior lady that she went to visit, and um, her and a friend, and they went to visit her. And when the lady stepped out of the room, they were in the kitchen. You know, Paula sneakily opened the cabinets to see if there were food there for her, and there was nothing. And so when the lady came back out they you know graciously moved into that conversation about her own food situation and was she food secure and did she have enough to eat and the the lady Uh, quietly dismiss their questions, saying, no, I don't need any help, I'm fine, there's people who need it far more than I do. And I think that's a problem that we run into with a lot of the seniors that we try to serve, is they feel like if they take something, they're taking away from someone else, and maybe even the group we talked about in the last segment, which was children. I
1: think the more we work with seniors, I mean, I don't know if, it, 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 listeners, if you ever get a chance to read The Greatest Generation, uh, it's an awesome book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, 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 really, it really covers the issue of our, our baby boomer generation and, and how they feel about themselves, their own identity and their values. And Phil, we have seen exactly what you've just described many, many times. Uh, so what do you do with that? right? If people are telling you, I'm not going to take food if you just give it to me, unless you can prove to me that everyone else got it first, right? If that's the assumption, (laughs) right? right? And of course, we know we can't do that because we're only halfway in terms of meeting the safety net needs of the community. So there is no way we can deny that if you give food to somebody, somebody else isn't getting it. Yeah, that's true. Well, generally,
0: when we talk about food insecurity in Michigan, we're talking about Slightly less than 16% of the general population, but slightly less than 22% of children, one in five, right, are food insecure in our
1: state. So so now, what tools do you need in your tool bag to serve seniors who are looking you in the face and saying, until you can tell me for sure that the people that need it more than I do got it first, I ain't taking it. Right. What do you do? Well, I want to talk about mobile grocery. Sure. Because mobile grocery is, is an innovation that we're working on that basically has a fee attached to it. But it's, it's a fee based on the highest quality, lowest cost food we can get. So we're making every senior that participates in this program a smart shopper. So we're driving economic value. Usually they get a dollar forty in, in food value for every dollar they spend in the mobile grocery program, but they're spending some money. They're taking some of their resources and spending it. And you know what? They love it. You know why they love it? Because it doesn't feel like a, a handout. Right. It doesn't feel like they're needy. It doesn't feel like they're being judged for not doing the right things in their life. What it feels like is a good deal. Mm -hmm. And it's still providing a social service, but it's helping them leverage their own resources, and that's what they want. So so when you start to be creative about the tools in your tool bag based on what people are telling you they want and need, you can create less costly solutions to the general public and still solve problems. And that is a win, win, win in my book.
0: So one of the things I want our listeners to understand is the context of mobile grocery. So there's two hundred and eight food banks a part of the Feeding America National Network. And for decades, these food banks have tried to figure this out, this concept of mobile grocery. This innovative thing, uh, this project, this pilot that you folks at Gleaners, your team, Julie Beamer, um, Rochelle Bonelli, you're part of your senior leadership team, and they're part of their teams, have come together with you, and you guys have created a business model for mobile grocery that Supports itself, right? And that's never been done in the history of food banking nationwide. And I think that's the context that people should understand that the the
1: intelligence and the innovation behind this project, and it all comes from understanding who needs help, right? So when you really start answering the question, okay, so knowing that it's seniors is the beginning. Then finding out from seniors the help they want and need that's going to make things work better for them that they'll be willing to accept and participate in, then you can start to say, well, geez, what we really need is a way to leverage their own resources to drive value. And that's going to be one of the big tools in the tool bag. So again, the what you start down the path thinking and what you end up thinking are different once you get the information. And Link to Feed, which is the tool we talked about earlier, is the tool that's helping us refine our understanding of every segment of the population we serve so we can do better and you know what not every solution is more expensive than the last one some of them like mobile grocery are actually significantly less expensive but do a better job and you you've had some people come
0: alongside of you that believe in this model wanted to see the pilot and it's proved itself out to be a tremendous tool and you've gotten great Um, reaction from not only the seniors, but the people who are working with seniors. So you've had some partners in this too.
1: Yeah, and a lot of our help in this regard has come from the business community, and particularly PepsiCo, who has been walking with us every step of the way and very interested in making sure seniors are getting nutritious food in the right way. Right. So it's pretty exciting to me.
0: That's one innovation. And I think part of our challenge as leaders is to create Create great choices for the people that we serve. And I think mobile grocery creates great choices.
1: And another innovation working with seniors in particular is our healthcare integration work. And this is happening all over the state and all over the country. But we know that many of the people that need healthcare are seniors. Sure. We also know that 70% or so of prescriptions say take with food so if you're a senior on a fixed income and it's a not enough income to make ends meet and you have several prescriptions that say take with food and you don't have food in your house what's happening to your health at that point so again one of the tools we need in our tool bag to work with seniors is working with health care to make sure when a senior does have a health concern that needs to be managed with medication that requires food those seniors have food it's not and, and again, of all the solutions you could put toward health care, food is a low-cost, high-value opportunity that we're trying to take advantage of to better serve that population. Well, and then there's
0: policies that affect seniors, too, that, you know, so we have a mandatory retirement. But in Scandinavia, they've said, you know, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to let seniors continue to work as long as they want to work. And so, you know, if you're on a fixed income right now, you can you you might be able to work a few hours, but we've got rules and regulations and legislative policies that prohibit people from reentering into the workforce. Because it'll affect their payments of Social Security and other things. Yeah, exactly. So, I'm just saying, innovative things that, uh, policies, ideas that support work and allow people to become and stay self-sufficient. These... These policies need to flow all in the same direction. So that's 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 awesome, Jerry. I appreciate you and your team leading uh, really the nation and how in mobile grocery and and the and the impact that it's having with the senior population. I'd say congratulations. Thanks, Phil. I it's appreciate great. It. He's Jerry Brisson, I'm Dr. Phil Knight. This is Food for Thought. We're going to be back in just a moment. We'll be right here. Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight Presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan Once again, here's Dr. Phil Knight We're back here on Food for Thought Thanks for listening, everybody
1: I just want to say I'm really lucky to have my son James in the studio with me and Dr. Phil today Say hello, James Hello, James
0: (laughs) Jerry Brisson, um you broke this down for us in the first segment about uh, the data that we've collected about who we're serving, uh, largest population being uh, the employed, 47% of the people who are coming to us, which kind of ties to the article that I opened the show with and that we've mentioned the, the 2.2 people, million people that went off SNAP, roll over into our lines. You know, we don't know that. We, we hope not but we, we don't know that. Talk to us a little bit about this largest group that comes to us uh, to meet their food security needs.
1: Well, it's probably the one we un- we all understand the most because it's most of us listening and participating in many ways are either employed now or have been employed and so have a lot of experience in our life dealing with employment. So fundamentally, um, the benefits cliff that we already talked about is a really important thing to understand when you start solving food security or food insecurity for the employed. You got to make sure that the benefits and the wages align in the right way to incentivize work. That's really important. Another really important thing, though, is time and convenience. So, a lot of times uh, when we think about solving problems for people we want to have meetings with them we want to you know get all the proof of income and we want to go through this process with them to make sure they actually need help well if you need three or four kinds of help you're spending an awful lot of time answering the same questions over and over and over well that doesn't work for employed people especially people that might have two jobs and a couple kids mm. so we got to have tools that take into account that how do we make this more efficient for people so that they can stay working anything we do that takes away their opportunity, not only to feed their family, which is distracting at best, but also actually get to work and get to work on time and stay at work all day. We're disincentivizing what we want, which is to keep people employed. So those are two examples. There's lots more examples we could talk about, but it's a different set of tools for employed people than it is for either kids or seniors.
0: Or the last segment we want to mention here is the, the... Six percent, you said, were homeless. homeless.
1: right. And again, you know, it's, it's easy to think that homeless people all look the same, and they don't either. No. So when you look at who is homeless and why they're homeless, certainly you have people who've been foreclosed on from their home, and they're temporarily homeless for a really short amount of time, but able to get back into some kind of a home setting quickly. But there's other people with chronic mental illness or serious substance abuse problems or health issues— that have prevented them from finding a permanent solution for housing for sometimes years and years and years. Again, different people need different kinds of help. And so the tools we have in our tool bag have to mirror the lives people actually have.
0: Well, the first posting I ever worked at was in a Skid Row uh, setting agency uh, right out of college. And, you know, I would tell there's always going to be a segment that needs us. And this is that segment. And, I think it says more about us as a nation and as a culture on how we treat them than it says about them being in need. And I really feel pretty strongly about that one. So I guess it's time for a little food for thought. A recent article in The Economist states, as countries become richer, they tend to spend higher shares of their national income on public services and benefits. Spending on social protection such as pensions, unemployment, and assistance for the hard-up, has risen from an average of 5% of the GDP in rich countries in 1960 to almost 20% today, including spending on health and education, and those shares roughly double. For some, the sheer scale of these welfare states is reason enough for reform. If we are getting less out of our social safety net than we believe we should, we have no one to blame but ourselves. It's because we aren't thinking about what's good, best, and possible. Instead, we are too busy staking out territory on what has always been and should always be. Reform is necessary and can be achieved by thinking better. If we want people to not need SNAP or other programs, then let's give them the freedom to work if they want to without threatening the benefits they've already been approved for. Let's create learning accounts so the jobless can acquire new skills rather than dropping down the legislative work requirement hammer. What I'm really saying is, let's lead people. Let's inspire them, motivate them, incentivize them with policies that demonstrate we believe in them. Let's stop using work like it's a punishment. Work is good. Let's stop trying to herd them by generalizing them. And this is simple, folks. People can be led, but they aren't cattle. They can't be driven. Well, that's it for today on Food for Thought. Jerry and I are back next week right here on Newstalk 760 WJR. You can catch all of our shows at foodsecuremichigan.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Dr. 14 Thanks for listening, and until next week, remember, it's food first, folks. Food first. Food for Thought has been a presentation of Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.